Kevin Rice was at the peak in his life. He had just finished building his dream home, his, his literal passion project, and he was so excited to move in. He was a day away from creating new memories with his wife and three kids, but those dreams were taken away from him. Police officers in Rockford, Illinois, worked tirelessly to figure out who could have killed one of their own. We are your hosts, Sherry Ferreira and Helen Allen. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. Sherry, listen, it's a Monday. I'm a little bit behind. We haven't recorded in, like, a month. Oh, my God, right, because it's all just been, like, backlog. So, excuse me, everybody, because I am a little off my game today. Oh, I know. You never see me off my game. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm switching things up for once. (laughs) I know what you're going to say. You off your game? I can't imagine it. Never. Helen, never. (laughs) But, okay. Just off the description from the Forensic Files episode that I watched, I wanted to know so much more. Because in the description, it goes, and they found the killer through fibers and an asthma inhaler he left behind. No, that's why you picked this episode. Yes! I I was set off. I went off. I was like, how are you going to leave this behind? That's incompetence. And also, assumably, assumably he's like running. That's the one thing you need to run. So I was like, I need to hear this. I need to hear more. How's Madagage going to run without an inhaler? Right? I would know! I would know! So I needed to watch the episode, and I'm here to deliver it to you guys. And there's so many other, I'm here to deliver. It's great. So it's Friday, August 3rd, 2001. um, And it's late at night when all of a sudden six gunshots go off back to back. And this is all in Rockford, Illinois. And yes, I did have to put out the, like, Illinois and not Illinois, because I did say that once, and I did cut it out. The real ones but it's won't important. remember. Yeah. Oh, did you cut um, it out? Yeah, I did cut it out, but I'm here to be vulnerable today. So, <laughs> just so you guys We're know. All game. I wrote it as Illinois. Um, someone places a call and said that they want to report. Police respond to... Um, the call because someone called obviously there's six gunshots going off and they said it was near Auburn Manor Apartments. Now when police first get there they see a car sitting in the middle of the road but not actual middle of the road it was in a lane it's just a car was stopped in the middle of the lane you know it like wasn't pulled okay to the so side. like it was in a lane it like was if people were trying to drive by it would be an inconvenience. Correct. The car was a maroon Chrysler The lights were still on, the car was still running, and interestingly enough, the car was still in reverse. But it wasn't abandoned. Whoa, 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 whoa. The car was in reverse? Yes. Was it, like, on a slope where it couldn't reverse up? Or, like, why wasn't it driving? Because, like, you know when you're, like, not on the gas, this car still moves. There wasn't anything further... But they did say Why the was car this was car still not in, in motion? I don't know, but in... Like, did it run I'm out of sh- gas? No, because it was a pretty quick um, response time. 
I'm, I'm honestly not sure. Um, but if someone finds out, let me know. Yeah, what the hell is the make and model of this car? <laughs> it was a maroon Chrysler back in 2001, August 3rd. Um, let me look up. Do Chryslers... <laughs> Do Chryslers... Reverse? Reverse <laughs> without the gas pedal. Um... I don't think I'm, I'm sure going to get the direct I'm answer. sure some car bro is in our comments like, you're an idiot! Oh. Like, okay. literally. So, I don't I don't think I'm going to be able to get an answer to this, because I don't even know how to Google this, so that's enough. That's all right. <laughs> I'm tapping out. <laughs> that's okay. Those are just the facts that were said, um, and that I researched, so take that for what you will. Now, the car wasn't abandoned. In the driver's seat was a middle-aged man who had been shot repeatedly in the head and chest. Investigators are like, well, he must have seen something because to them they're thinking that maybe the man was driving, then reversed his car to get a better look, and shit went down, you know? Mm. According to Mark Carner... In the the driver's seat? In the driver's seat. I wonder if his foot was on the brake. (laughs) I would love to know that, but all they said was that the car was still in reverse. I cannot put it in my head that the car was in reverse but not driving. I don't get that. I don't know. Was the e-brake on or something? Like. (laughs) The e-brake. I don't get it. I don't know. Maybe it was a Tesla. It was not a Tesla. (laughs) No. No. According to Mark Carner, the prosecutor on this case, it was very apparent from the man's position in the car and the fact that his seatbelt was still on, that the man had no time to react to the assailant. The man was dead. Essentially, the man was dead before he could even put the car in park because it happened that quick. Um, the next wild thing is that when they ran the plates, the car had been registered to a man, as we know, named Kevin Rice. And Kevin was a fellow officer. Everyone at the scene was in distress. Now, Kevin Rice... <laughs> Kevin Rice was a Rockford police officer, a 14-year veteran, and he had a spotless record. Kevin's partner, Theo Glover, got a call from the commander saying Kevin was shot. And immediately, Theo was like, all right, I'm on my way. Be there in five, putting on my clothes. But then the commander breaks the news that Kevin is dead and Theo just goes quiet during the interview. He's like holding back his Um, tears and trying to be really strong. And I'm like, let it free. It's okay. I know. You're allowed Um, to breathe. Right, and that's your partner. You work side by side with them every single day, so I can't imagine how difficult that loss must be. Now, Kevin Rice was 38 years old at the time, and he had three kids at the time of his passing, and he was married to his wife, obviously married to his wife. I feel like that's like a double... Yeah, like you really sold it there. Now I know he was married for sure to his wife. (laughs) There we go. For 15 years... And her name was Ardeen. She does make an appearance in the episode, and my heart really does go out to her. She says, quote, little Kevin is always asking her, when is his daddy going to come back from heaven? Oh, my goodness. Cutted me like a fish. Like a fish. I have to say, not to, like, make this about me, but (laughs) um, (laughs) my little brother always, like, so for those of you who don't know, my little brother is autistic, um, and we... 
lost my dad a few years ago, and my little brother was very attached to him, of course. And so he always is, like, asking us to call heaven so he can talk to my dad. And we always have to be like, no, you can't call heaven. So now he, like, says on his own all the time, we can't call heaven. And we're like, yeah, you can't. It's really, like, heart-wrenching. So I can't. I get it. It's really hard explaining the loss of a parent, you know. Right. It's it's the most heartbreaking stuff I can't even imagine. When questioned, Ardeen said that Kevin had gotten a phone call just after midnight. The call was from a friend they hired to lay down carpet in their new home. And it's important to note that, or at least I think it's important to note that they were also, um, had planned to move into the new house the very next morning. So I was like, okay, he has a call in the middle of the night, something conveniently goes wrong, and then he's found dead. Little strange to me. Yeah, definitely. No one knows exactly what the issue was, but Kevin makes his way to the new house to figure it out immediately at, like, 12, 1 a.m., like, really late at night, too. So I'm like, this is, this is your passion project. I love that energy. The carpet guy does confirm that, yeah, Kevin did stop by to fix the issue. Kevin told the carpet guy what he wanted to be done to fix the issue, and then Kevin left. Nothing mm. more, nothing less. Okay. Now, Kevin had only been gone for an hour, and then on his drive back to his current home, he was attacked. Oh, man. Shell casings at the scene indicate Kevin was shot with a thirty-eight caliber weapon, and thankfully there was one witness who reported seeing a man in a dark hooded sweatshirt running away from the area. Not a lot to go off of, but dark hooded sweatshirt, right? That's, you can keep that. Noted. Yeah. So now investigators are thinking the call from the carpet guy might have been a setup to get Kevin away from his home and in a vulnerable position. And I'm like, I'm right there with you. I was there like two minutes ago. Who is this carpet Absolutely. guy? Absolutely. I'm already on this carpet guy. Right. But all that gets put on hold for Kevin's funeral. Thousands of people show up. And it's an interesting mm. thing that Kevin is the first um, city officer to be slain or first police officer to be slain in the city of Rockford, Illinois, in over 20 years. Wow. Which tells me a little bit of, because I thought, all right, if he was a police officer and he was shot while doing this drive, is that normal? Did the person know who Kevin was prior to this? But since he was the first one in 20 years, I was like, all right, that tells me that shit may be a little crazy, maybe not that crazy in Rockford, Illinois. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um. And after putting Kevin to rest, every officer is hauling ass. There is even a journalist who said during the episode that an officer was crying throughout the entire um, combing through of the crime scene. Just speaks to Kevin's character and how loved he was by his brothers and all that. Definitely. Now, another theory they start, like, mulling over is what if someone had it out for Kevin? He is a tech... He is a detective who's been investigating crimes for years, and a lot of those crimes involved gang activity. So it just made me laugh to picture some pissed-off gang member with an asthma problem. (laughs) Just being like, I need to get that Kevin Puffs of his inhaler. Like, relax. Relax. Um, (laughs) Like a big, tough gang guy. Gang guy. I don't even know what to... Like, I'm like, what a gang guy. But just, like, has, like, an inhaler in his holster. Yeah. Holster. 
We yeah. don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> At all. At all. That's okay. <laughs> right. So they went through every prison record. Well, not every prison record, but to, went through the prison records that were relevant to Kevin. <laughs> yeah, don't be see. dramatic. Do you know how much that is no, no, no. to go through? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Definitely wasn't that much. Um, but they were looking through to see if anyone that Kevin had arrested had been recently released because that would give them oh, the opportunity, a little bit of motive. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. While that was going on, investigators were also searching the crime scene for any more clues. And they found some. In a backyard that was near where Kevin was shot, they found a key ring with two keys on it and an inhaler. Now, the inhaler was just a few feet away from the keys, but they're assuming, all right, this must have been left by the person who did this, or if not, we need to look into it more, but it's relevant clues, right? Mm -hmm. Both items were dusted for prints, but the results were not a nothing. There were no prints whatsoever, um, but it wasn't all a dead end because investigators recognized the keys. So the keys belonged to the Auburn Manor Apartments, which is about two blocks away from the shooting. And due to the apartment having a lot of problems, I'm assuming with its residents, the management at Auburn Manor had given the police a set of keys. That way they can come in like quickly, have a faster respond time, and just resolve whatever is going on, you know? Ooh, sounds Next a little to sketchy ap- to me. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely a little sketchy. Like, Makes me worry about everybody's call. Fourth Amendment rights. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I don't know if it was a key, or at least they didn't know at this point if it was a key. I don't believe it was a key to the apartment. I think it was just a key to, like, The each... building. Yeah. Yeah, the building in general. Yeah. Okay. Now, next to the apartment buildings, they found another clue. And this one was a dark blue hooded sweatshirt. So they're like, all hmm. right, the witness saw a dark hoodie. This is a dark hoodie. Could it belong to the killer? You they're starting weird, to piece stuff together. Why would the hmm. killer do what he did, run a little bit away, shed all of his, de- like, defining belongings, and then just leave them there with all his DNA? An idiot, I'm assuming. I would just assume being like, an oh. inhaler would have his DNA on it. He puts his mouth on you... it. And then right. his clothing, like, you shed your skin, I don't know, onto your sweatshirt. <laughs> no, I don't... <gasps> Just That's say that I solved the case already. You <laughs> solved it! No, because literally later on we find out that the forensic, like, swap the inside of the neck and they find skin cells on it. I'm telling you, bitch, don't commit a crime and then leave your sweatshirt there. <laughs> like, just don't be an idiot, like, running around trying to do all this badass shit because you're going to get caught and they're going to find you. The only one who wouldn't get caught is me. And guess what? Yeah. I'm smart enough to not do it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> No one smart commits a crime. Well, yeah, it well, <laughs> like blue collar crime. But then they always get caught. Sometimes they always get caught. Sometimes, <laughs> and that's the thing about blue collar crime is that they always get caught. Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Um, <clears throat> so back to this story. They're trying to verify that this dark hooded sweatshirt that they found close to the apartment building is the same dark hooded sweatshirt that that witness saw running away from the scene. So they give it over to forensic analyst Mary Wong, who is a trace evidence expert. So immediately she's like, all right, we need to find any gunshot residue, because if this is, in fact, the killer, then all of that's going to be on the shirt. And I don't know if other people know this. I definitely did it because I'm an idiot sometimes. 
But when a gun is fired... Don't don't you start a sentence like that, Sherry. You have intelligence like nobody else. You are one of the smartest people I know. You apologize. I'm sorry for letting you bitches think otherwise. I am the most smartest person in this room. You're a trick, So... When a gun is fired, a cloud of gas forms, and these particles are then deposited on any surface within the vicinity of the discharge, which is the gunshot residue, gunshot right? Gunshot residue. Yeah. Cool. So they're pro- Right? So they're processing <laughs> this- <laughs> I don't know. Like, I can't convey, like, oh my god, this is so You're cool so and high energy. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> I don't know. It's so lovable. I just love you. <laughs> okay. So they process the sleeves and the cuffs with a stub sampler. So this is an aluminum disc with a carbon tape adhesive surface. So she's almost like stamping this little like stamper all over the sleeves and cuffs trying to pick up any residue. Oh, interesting. Right? And when tested, they found three elements in the sleeves and in the cuffs of the hoodie. Lead, antimony, and barium. Which all point... What is this guy, a chemist? No, oh. it's just, like, <laughs> elements from the gunshot residue. Oh, my God. I was like, what is he doing with <laughs> barium? <laughs> what the fuck is antimony? <laughs> I'm like, damn, maybe he is a smart person committing a crime. <laughs> no, guys, no, those are just guys. the elements found in gunshot residue. Um... So yeah, basically the killer had in fact worn the same sweatshirt they found just a couple blocks away from the scene. The supervisors of the Auburn Manor apartments decided to send those keys out with a team of detectives to rule out if the key belongs to like any of the apartments. So they're combing through, combing through, and slot apartments takes them a while, but eventually they did find a match. It belonged to an apartment that was on the bottom floor, and the why are you smiling? I'm just nervous. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's we're getting we're getting to it. <laughs> Who did know. it? I'm just wondering. I don't know. Oh my god, some idiot. bozo. Well, I could have guessed that. Couldn't you just Hate take it. the fucking sweatshirt home and put it in the laundry? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have been a lot Maybe easier. Maybe just like keep your fucking inhaler. I don't know why you needed to throw mm. that away. That wasn't even evidence yeah. in the first place. They weren't like. I could just smell that an asthmatic was on the scene. Like, what did they feel like they needed becomes, to dispose? If that ever becomes a part of technology, Helen, oh my god. <laughs> Are you asthmatic? Because I could smell you from here. <laughs> yeah. The apartment belonged to a 46-year-old man named Calvin Powell. And the Texans were like, name. oh my god. That's hard right? to say. And, right? Calvin Powell. A lot of owls. Mm-hmm. Say it five times. No, no I'm kidding. The detectives. <laughs> I was gonna. Did you want me to? <laughs> really? Yeah. Say Calvin Powell five times fast. Calvin Powell. Calvin Powell. Calvin Powell. Calvin Powell. <laughs> Calvin Powell. Calvin Powell. <laughs> so detectives walk in. And- I'm sorry. I don't know why that just made me nauseous. <laughs> drink water the detectives walk in and they're like oh my god what's up like they know this guy because they have had several run-ins with mr powell powell had several minor arrests 
and some felonies for drugs and property crimes. Now, Powell adamantly denies having any involvement with the murder, but could not say where he was that night. He had no alibi whatsoever. Who arrested him? Oh, oh, they don't get into that. But they're just thinking, like... But, so, my thing is, like, his past crimes, I mean, I don't know what his Mm -hmm. minor arrests are, but property damage or whatever you said yeah, was property, that he had. property damage and drugs like what would that lead you to kill someone it's a little weird you know yeah so, so i'm like was he was kevin the arresting officer why why would this guy have a reason to kill kevin right well powell did say that a 19 year old named william buck would frequently crash at his place sometimes he also mm-hmm. says that Buck had assaulted him in the past with a 38 caliber semi-automatic handgun, which is the same one used to kill Kevin. So they're oh. thinking, okay. It's nice and convenient. And after tracing the lot number on the inhaler, they found that it does belong to William Buck's doctor. Even more convenient. They also discovered that Buck had been a patient at this clinic and had been described a very similar, a very specific inhaler used for asthma. So I think from that, they're like, Pavel, all right, you got your shit going on, but we're going to start focusing on this Buck guy. So this William Buck is really running around with a very specific kind of asthma, committing murders, and then leaving the scene of the crime with his inhaler there that can be so easily traced back to his legitimate specific doctor for his very specific asthma. I cannot believe. (laughs) He's like, just just some, yeah, baffled. Now, immediately, Buck jumps to being the prime suspect in Kevin's murder. And after digging into his background, they find out he had just been released from a juvenile detention center. Why, you might ask? Because he was serving a six-year sentence for a murder he committed when he was 12. Yikes. Yeah. Pretty intense. Now, prosecutor Mark Carner says there was no reason for that crime and that Buck was an outside... Um, not an outside, Buck was outside a tavern on the west side of Rockford when he saw a man on the curb just drinking a beer, and he went up to him and shot him. Buck then fled the scene, but, you know, eventually they did catch him, hence the six-year sentence that he had just been done serving. But, I mean, that's it's intense shit. It's intense. Well, and not for nothing, if we can't find any link between Buck and Kevin, then, like, maybe it's because... He just kills random people. Right. For no reason. So they pay Buck a little visit, and after questioning him, he adamantly denies having any involvement in Kevin's murder and says it was actually his friend Vincent Holmes, who was also 19 years old, by the way. This is starting to sound like a game of telephone. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not into it. (laughs) Vincent also frequented the Auburn Manor apartments and frequently hangs out with Buck. So they pay Holmes a little visit, which, you know, is Vincent's last name. I'm just going to call him Holmes in case that threw anyone off. Okay. They pay Holmes a little visit, and after questioning him, he said that it was Buck. So I'm like, this is too much. I need answers. They're the Spider-Man meme. Clear that, no, literally, all three of these dumbasses just, uh, 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 like. Yeah. It's embarrassing. What have you already I left to your Lock them all up. I don't, Please. not my problem. <laughs> Please. Now. Several, and thankfully, we get some clarification for all this. Now, several residents had reported seeing both Buck and Holmes together on the night of the murder. 
These residents had what can only be described as what I'm trademarking as the Helen gene. A little paranoid. Oh. Definitely oh. too many notes up about anything they find suspicious. Oh, she sounds nice. And always a weird feeling to be on alert, you know? She's, she's a fun gal. She's a fun gal. <laughs> and I say this because the residents were like, yep, we saw them that same night drinking outside, and we can identify the clothing that they were wearing in case you need that too. And I was like, that is big Helen energy. Big Helen energy. Oh, me? Big <laughs> Helen energy. Big Helen energy. And I love that shit. And all it Sherry, took- I'll tell you what. A crime was committed in my parking lot the other day. Oh, my God. I was so angry. I was not there to see it. I was so angry I wasn't there to take videos or take down the exact notes of which car did it. And and for everybody wondering, it was just somebody somebody rammed into a light post and knocked it over. But I was like... Not to mention, the scene of the crime is where we walk Penny to do her business. Ooh. I can't take her there anymore. I don't no. want to traumatize her. That the caution tape? I'm not interested. No, not anyway. for your daughter. Not for your daughter. The one time I'm I around a crime, I can't even freaking do what I do best. Right. Take notes. <laughs> Unfortunate. They could have used you. They really could have used you. They could have. I know. Now, all it took was one search warrant, and investigators were in the business of hauling ass. They got the clothes that Buck and Holmes were wearing that night and sent them to Mary Wong, the forensic analyst, for some testing. Mary does the test to find any gunshot residue, again, on their shirts that they were wearing that night. And they didn't find anything, unfortunately. I want to say that again. They put them through the wash? No. (laughs) No, that's the thing, too. They didn't even put it through the wash. They just didn't find any gunshot residue on the shirts that they were wearing that night. Why? Because it was on the sweatshirt. Exactly. So, no, exactly. No, because it was on the sweatshirt. So they took the hoodie with all the residue on it and they start seeing if they can find any fibers from that hoodie on the t-shirts because the t-shirts haven't been washed and these guys are idiots. Yep. Mm -mm. So they push this along to Skip Palahniuk, who is one of the country's premier experts in trace evidence analysis. Like he can do more with this than Miss Wong can. So, Skip is now trying to decipher which man was wearing that sweatshirt. Skip tells us that whenever two objects come into contact, there is always a transfer of material. Now, the sweatshirt was entirely made up of acrylic fibers, and he did find some on Buck's shirt. But now he had to prove that the same fibers on Buck's shirt came from that sweatshirt. You following? Mm. Yep. Okay, good. Got it. Now, most clothing isn't dyed with just one color. It's usually a combination of a bunch of colored dyes to get the right shade. Right. So Skip needed mm-hmm. to identify the chemical makeup of the blue fibers, so he placed the fibers on a sort of plate of cilia gel. He dipped it into a solvent, and the water sort of rose up to where the dye of the sweatshirt is. And when it does that, it sort of bleeds out and shows you exactly which colors are in that to make that shade still following yep Mm -hmm. okay so by doing that they're able to see that the same seven shades used to make that specific dark blue was also found on the shirt that buck was wearing so they were like all right that's a match he's done for he was definitely wearing this sweatshirt Mm mm-hmm Skip was able to determine that both the color and composition of the sweatshirt fibers were matched to the fibers found on Buck's shirt. 
So either Buck had worn the sweatshirt that the killer had been wearing or Buck had worn one that was literally perfectly identical to it. And they didn't stop right. there because, like I said before, they also swabbed the neck of the sweatshirt and found microscopic skin cells, possibly from sweat. They're not really sure. But when compared, the DNA profile of the cells matched Buck's genetic profile. Bye bye, Buck. Bye, Buck. Bye, Buck. He was charged with first degree murder and Holmes ended up being Buck's accomplice or dumbass sidekick, whichever one, you know, you feel like saying. Um, and Holmes reveals that Kevin did stop his car that night. Okay, so this is the breakdown of Kevin's night. And mind you, this is all through Holmes um, retelling. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, okay. Kevin receives this phone call after 1 a.m. from his friend, the carpet guy. He goes there, mm -hmm. fixes it, drives back home, and nothing ends up being suspicious about that. It was just something went wrong and Kevin is on call because, like I said before, this is his passion project. Like, of course, he's going to be up at 12, 1 a.m. Like, there's a problem with the carpet? I'm on my way. Like, let's fucking do this. This is my home. I'm moving <laughs> in the next day. The fuck? Yeah. Um, now, like I said, according to Holmes, um, he and Buck were breaking into a car when Kevin noticed what they were doing. Like, wrong place, wrong time. It just all aligned that way. Kevin was unarmed, but still confronted them. And Buck was freshly released from juvie. And he was like, I'm not going back to juvie. I'm not getting caught. So Buck fired six shots and five of them hit Kevin. That's cute, Buck. You don't want to go back to juvie. How does real prison sound? Oh my! Like, what the fuck? Like quadruple, like can quintuple the amount of time that he went for. You think six years is bad, bitch? Like, Get ready. I don't want to go to juvie for breaking into a car, so I'm just going to commit murder instead because yeah. that's easier. Like, what in God's name? Buck proceeded to run away from the scene, dropping his keys and inhaler, which I think is just straight up karma. I think that is karma. If you, if you're... Yeah, he dropped if, it. Uh, like, it was an accident? Yes, like, he Sorry. accidentally dropped his inhaler. He didn't, You better like, run, bitch, but guess what you don't have anymore? The Your one lungs. thing you need. Karma. Oh, I love it. Buck then got rid of the sweatshirt nearby the apartments, and that's how they sort of found all these missing pieces and connected mm -hmm. it to Buck. Now... What I thought was interesting is um, sort of some information that I found from the trial in this article. Now, in the state's arguments, they're saying that Rice was acting as a police officer when he was shot and that Buck was committing a burglary at the time. While the defense is arguing that Rice was not acting as an officer and Buck was not trying to break into a car when Rice was shot. Because if you are an acting officer, that um, escalates the sentence. Like, you could he get would, life. Right. Because it would be... Yeah. You can never do anything to a police officer because they're, like, the biggest big shots. <laughs> yeah. Now, the jurors... In layman's terms. Yeah, it, <laughs> has one criminal justice degree? In layman's terms. <laughs> for those uneducated few. Yeah, so everybody, I went to school for legal <laughs> studies, and, and what, what I can tell you is that police officers are big shots in the eyes of the law. <laughs> I learned that in my classes. <laughs> Me at my interview for my job. I do have a degree, <laughs> and I can tell you that they are big shots. They are. Big shots. Shot. You do not want to take big shots at a big shot. Tell you what. No. I love that. So if the jurors agree with the state, then they could find Buck guilty of two more counts of first-degree murder. And if that happens, Buck could be sentenced to death. 
The jury deliberated for Damn. eight hours before finding Buck guilty of shooting Rice in the head and body with the intent to kill. So they found him guilty on one count of first degree murder, which carries a maximum punishment of 60 years in prison without parole. But they did not give a verdict on the two other counts against Buck, including a charge that the murder was exceptionally brutal or heinous. So he ended up getting sentenced to 68 years in prison. Now, the evidence spoke for itself. No charges were filed against Holmes, who testified for the prosecution. Holmes had a deal that if he had his full cooperation and told the truth, that he wouldn't be charged. So he got away scot-free. And Kevin's memory just continues to live on. Like, his wife still speaks about him. Not even just his wife. His family still speaks about him and, like, so much, uh, like, just a proud sense of him. They had their 20-year... anniversary of Kevin's death last year. And now Kevin mm. has this scholarship at Rock Valley College to award students who are studying criminal justice or police science. And I think that's just amazing. That is. And and it's such a shame because, um, you know, I and we've said this before when we do talk about police officers that have like there's nothing bad to say about them right um and that is it's such a shame to see like a good one go out like that because he really was just doing his service like a lot of police officers i'm sure um when they're off the clock they're like whatever i'm off the clock but kevin you know he took an oath and he was serious about it and he even unarmed felt like he needed to protect the community that he lived in literally and that's really sad that that is the way that he went but it's also a testament to who he is who he was as a police officer you no know? of course and they say that like even from the thousands of people showing up at the funeral like the whole community just felt like a real sense of togetherness after this so i thought that was also very beautiful and spoke to kevin's character thanks for listening you can catch us on instagram at the chalkline pod Twitter at the Chalkline Pod. And follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story. That was good.